Hi, welcome back to The Cake with Joe and Jane, or Ian and Jane, depending on what Ian wants to be called today. It's called The Cake because there is a cake for everyone. Whether it's walnut, chocolate, fruit or red velvet, cake is definitely something that unites us here at Salisbury District Hospital. In a moment, we'll introduce the amazing guests we've got lined up for this episode. But before we get into that, we should probably introduce ourselves again. So I'm Jane and I am one of the Divisional Heads of Nursing here at Salisbury. And I'm Ian. I'm the Deputy Chief People Officer, and as Jane has already said, sometimes known as Joe, and today I think I'll be Joe. Okay, welcome Joe. Thank you. Joining us for our episode today, we have our Head of Pathology, Lee Phillips, and Katie Griffin from our marvellous Stars Appeal. But as we know, people are far more than just their job titles. So, Katie, starting with you, is there something that people in the hospital don't already know about you? I'm really into um, taking pictures of animals and um, I was quite lucky before Covid to get the opportunity to go on safari in Kenya oh, Wow! and I managed to, um, well I was lucky enough to see a uh, polka dot zebra which I thought I was actually seeing things but uh, it a, does exist. A zebra with spots yeah, and stripes? Yeah, yeah. I've well, never even heard of that. Were they black and white spots? No, they, it was a baby so it was still brown so it was brown polka dots, and it's one of the greatest pictures I've, I've got. Excellent. And Lee, tell us something about you that we don't already know. Mine is similarly um, travel-related, actually. I've circumnavigated the planet. Um, I went travelling, took a, a year out and went travelling, um, took some time out of work and set off east and came back from the west. And where was your favourite place? I think the most interesting place was probably India. But I'm a big natural history fan as well, so probably the most notable for me was I went to the island of Komodo to see the the giant lizards, oh. um, and that was yeah incredible, absolutely incredible. One of the one of the sort of um, bucket list things that you want to do. Are they the ones that attack people, Komodo dragons? I think they have the potential. I think that they don't tend to because the people that live there are quite used to them, but they have been known to kill apparently kill people uh, in the only past. Only James Bond movies. I was going to say yeah. that's where <laughs> I saw it, James Bond. Yeah, yeah. So it's not real, James Bond. Apparently not. Oh, no. Shocker. <laughs> okay, so um, thank you so much for agreeing to join us today and discuss about your careers and why you've chosen to do them. Um, starting with yourself, Lee, as head of pathology, do you remember what you wanted to do as a child? Was it head of pathology or did you have other ideas? Very much, very much. I wanted to sit um, at a desk doing emails all day. That was my intention. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I am a, probably was a fairly sad child in that I knew I wanted to be a scientist from, from a very young age. And there's, I think, two pivotal moments that, that kind of decided it for me. Probably the most significant was um, the release of David Attenborough's Life on Earth. Yep. So I was about eight or nine, I think, when that was released on TV. That had an incredible effect on me as a youngster, absolutely riveted to it every week, because then you had to actually watch it at the right time. I think it was on a Sunday. That was staggering. That got me interested in, in travel, wildlife and, and all those sorts of things. And then for some reason, when I was about 10, I think my parents brought me a chemistry set. That was absolutely fascinating and um, triggered a, you know, kind of further interest in science, I guess. Um, and then two years after that, I'd been spent two years saving and bought the, the biggest chemistry set I could lay my hands on. And, and it kind of went from there. I had a, an aunt who was very, very interested in natural history. So she was the classic mad great aunt. Yep. So she had a big influence on me as well. Um, and I think... Um, a father who was a, an engineer, aircraft engineer, he could answer pretty much any question I could throw at him. So 
I, I gather I was an annoying child and asked a lot of questions, <laughs> but he was really good. He could answer, you know, if I wanted to know what a proton and a neutron was made of, he would generally have the answer. So I think all those things kind of conspired to um, push me in the direction. So by the time I was 10 or 12, I knew I was going to be some form of scientist. And I'm guessing at that age, you didn't really understand which science you were going to specialise no, in. No, that's absolutely true. And I didn't really realise my line of work actually existed until I was probably um, 18, 19, 20 yeah. sort of years old. And I ended up getting into this, the health service science uh, line of work, almost by accident, by applying for a job. Uh, in fact, I applied for a job doing research on aphids in the Natural History Museum at the same time I applied for a job in histopathology at St. Bartholomew's Hospital in London. And I got the St. Bart's job before I got the natural history job. So I ended up sort of starting almost by accident. So what did you do at university to give you this, the skills? I think, well, of... generally everything, everything now is graduate entry. There are numerous yeah. routes when I started and you could go in through. So I did A-levels and then took my first job and did university part-time, okay. which is, um, was immensely helpful being a youngster and needing to earn some money. Mm -hmm. But essentially I've done biomedical sciences as a, as a general subject. And then I specialised and did a master's later on, again in biomedical science, but also in um, clinical chemistry as well. And so how do you go from being a scientist to now being the head of pathology? So probably best to start with saying what head of pathology is. Yeah, so my role currently is to oversee all of the services within the pathology, pathology department. It's a fairly big service. We have about 150, 160 staff. It includes about six different departments. So the big department is the blood sciences area, laboratory medicine, which is biochemistry, haematology and blood transfusion. And then the other two big departments are microbiology and uh, histopathology. And then we have them, some of the smaller departments such as anticoagulation service, mortuary bereavement service uh, and the phlebotomy and outpatients parts of pathology. But you're not hands-on scientist. I'm not doing tests anymore, sadly. And that was the hardest, single hardest thing uh, or the single hardest change when going into a more management role or managerial role. And certainly from my lab manager role into the head of pathology role, I lost all of that. And that's the single hardest thing is that you're no longer actually doing the tests on patients. There's real passion there, Lee, for you know, your I, I childhood. I quite like my subject. Yeah, your childhood yeah. enthusiasm all the way through. Thank you. Has there ever been a time where you thought, mm, actually, maybe I got that wrong. Maybe I should be doing something different. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think everyone probably questions their, their job choices at times. And most people in this room will know there is a lot of pressure at times in this trust and, and, and others uh, and in the health service generally there's some, some challenges but then there are some very satisfying bits something as sad as getting a, a workforce review agreed actually is is an immense challenge <laughs> but can be really quite rewarding um so there are there are good bits um but yeah i won't i won't pretend i haven't thought about doing other things um at times but i am absolutely scientist to the core i, re I really am so there's not much else probably i would have i would have done despite wanting to make animated films and become a vet at one stage. There's all those things. That was prior to the being 10, obviously. And as, as the head of pathology, what are the biggest challenges for you? Probably the financial side of things currently. The um, staffing and recruitment are quite challenging for the scientific services in this trust, despite there being a very well-defined academic pathways and plenty of people going through those academic pathways. There's a, a very big pool of employers out there and um, we struggle at times um, to recruit. Salisbury is an expensive area. It's potentially difficult for junior graded staff to move to because of those costs. And so we, we do struggle with recruitment a bit at times. So if you were at a dinner party and someone asked you about your job mm. and they then said, why would you choose to do that? Mm. What would you say? 
I would say it's because I have an underlying interest in science, particularly in biological science. The science of disease is absolutely fascinating. It gives you an insight into the health service, but it gives you an insight into the, the science and the research and everything else behind, um, behind medicine. Medicine is a, is a fascinating subject, and I work with the teams that largely dis, you know, diagnose what's wrong with the patient by doing numerous different tests. We can advise on treatment, we can monitor progress, and we can give prognostic information to clinicians and yeah, and essentially find out what's wrong with people. That's a pretty worthwhile career, I think. Um, it, is, it is amazing, and I'm very privileged because I work with you, Lee, to understand all the different services. But what mm. people outside the NHS probably don't understand is without the pathology service, the hospital couldn't run. No, I think they, there's these really, really figures that we love to throw around, and I think that's 90% of all patients that come through the health service have some interaction with pathology and 70% of diagnoses for a patient that comes through the health service involves pathology. So we are involved in a, in a big percentage of um, all the patients that come through through the oh, hospital. Directly making a difference. Directly, uh, yeah, I'd like to, yeah, I'd like to think so. And um, yeah, we by looking at a simple full blood count or by looking at a, an, a mole that's been taken off someone's arm or, or a swab from somewhere unspeakable, you can um, find out very quickly within 24 hours you know, what, what's wrong with someone and, and get them treated and, and better and, and back on their two feet as quickly as possible. So, Katie, Lee had his career pathway mapped out when he was 12. Um, I don't think you probably were expecting to be in the position you're in today when no, you were 12, but tell us about your journey. Not really. I kind of always loved writing, so I always knew I wanted to have that sort of career. I used to like creative writing at school I used to love writing stories and and everything and I think it wasn't until I'd done work experience later on at a newspaper that I realized I actually do enjoy this this is something that's different you never know what's going to come up and then I think I did a degree in um, journalism and then sort of it went from there and I kind of like the more I was around it the more I sort of fell in love with the job and it, it was very difficult to start with because when I left university I did get um, my first job reporting job in Inverness and then about I don't know quite a short time after I started the recession hit and then I got made redundant so mm. my dream sort of crashed down and then I thought what am I going to do now so I did some more sort of professional training and that kind of like spurred me on just to keep at it. Although I did get to a point where I thought I'm, I'm not going to get to do what I want to do. I'm going to have to rethink. And then I think about a year later, I did manage to get a junior reporter job. And yeah, was there for um, four years until I moved to Salisbury and and did a reporting job there. And, and now I'm here. So I'm trying something else new to me, um, communications which, yeah, I'm slowly learning a new skill set as well as using the skills that I had. I, I was going to say I would view a journalist as a communicator mm. anyway. Yeah, yeah. W- what's different in your current role to how you operated in your previous role? I think one of the most difficult things that I found transitioning was um, like deadlines. I was so uh, focused on deadlines all the time and like you had to get everything done now and did that that sense of a deadline was that something that drove you or something that you found quite challenging um it depends what it was because it usually drove you because you you had that 
goal in mind that you had to reach that point at a certain time. Um, whereas sometimes if you weren't getting anywhere with the story, it was quite it was quite difficult because you think, oh, I've got to get this done, but how am I going to get this done? Is there any stories that you really wish you had reported on and you didn't get the opportunity to do so? I don't think so. I think I'm quite happy with what I did get get to cover. Yeah, I've, I'm quite lucky that I've done a variety of things, especially when I was working in Salisbury. So I did like everything from council meetings to like court cases, even the entertainment stuff. So I did get to interview like people like John Cleese and, um, oh, wow. and Gareth Gates when he, he oh, came to yeah. the Playhouse to perform. Pop Idol. Yeah. So you, you never know what's going to come up. So what's your most memorable? It has to be um, two tortoises that accidentally set fire to their <laughs> owner's um, at their owner's house. Were the tortoises damaged? No, were the tortoises okay? were. Yeah, they were perfectly fine. <laughs> most importantly, never mind the house. <laughs> How did they set fire to their owner's house? I think they knocked over like a heating lamp. Sounds like a. Um sort of a plot from Afterlife that Ricky Gervais wrote, didn't he, when he was a journalist? Like, oh, I've got to go report on some tortoises, but yeah. And what's probably been the most challenging story you've had to Um I've had to cover a lot of inquests, and I think that's that's quite hard because of, of the subject matter and it's and trying to explain to the families why, why you're there and kind of explain to them the purpose of it and that you're not just doing it to upset them. And I think that can be quite difficult. Some of your experiences of, of, of journalism there are you know, re- really fascinating, sound really quite exciting. So what made you change career? I think I got to the point, like after um, 12 years, that I, I wanted to do something different and I wanted a change in my life and I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. And I thought communications is sort of a route that I can utilise my skills that I've already got. And um, the job at the Stars Appeal came up and I thought, oh, that's something I wouldn't mind doing. And like through my previous job, I got to see some of the work that that they've been able to fund, like the opening of the breast um, unit. Recently um, was speaking to a couple who've used the um, Benson suite after sadly losing their baby. And that's marked 10 years this year since it opened. And just being able to speak to her and and understand the impact just having that facility there made to her. Yeah, it's really quite emotional what what she said. And it makes you realise sort of the impact that the charity is having on on, um, people in that position. And outside of work, what what do you do to switch off bearing in mind you just yeah. talked quite emotional stories some of them you know may linger for a wee while so what do you do to switch off I love watching um tv and films um which I probably spend too much of my time watching tv and especially binge watching telly any particular type I tend to watch like crime dramas and and true crime documentary sometimes but you get to the point where it's like no you need to watch something more nice much nicer murders all the time yeah more uplifting (laughs) do you have that book in you still you talked about maybe 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 in the future is 
it's something my my mum keeps on saying you've got to write a book one day but it's just putting that all down it's like whether it'd actually be interesting to anybody but you never know never know I don't rule it out now Lee I know um, having had the great pleasure of being shown around the laboratory medicine area Mm -hmm. recently that there's a great thing in there called the wushy system do you want to um, just explain for people who don't know what the wushy system is what it is and and how temperamental it could be Indeed, I, I, Ian, I find it hard to believe there's no one in there's anyone in the hospital that doesn't know what the wishy is. <laughs> Wouldn't you be surprised? But the um, how much detail do you want? The, um, so it comprises of three separate systems of air uh, pneumatic air systems that run across the hospital, different parts um, of the hospital, and they it's used to transport large plastic carriers using Velcro seals to transport specimens between pathology and the rest of the hospital. And also um, we use it for pharmacy as well, for prescriptions and and drugs can be sent out to the different wards as well. When it was first installed, it was intended to be used for menus for patients as well. But I think the unreliability of the system (laughs) meant that the food was far more important than the samples and the prescriptions coming through it. It is very old now. It's about 30 years old. Um, It was put in when the, the, the newer part of the hospital was built. And it is the bane of my life. And I spend an immense amount of time running around looking after it, changing doors that our hospital staff have broken off and generally trying to retrieve carriers, these these pods with the samples in from somewhere in the system. I moan about it all the time, but actually secretly I quite like looking after it. <laughs> and don't actually mind, I have, a, I have a toolbox that I can carry around with me with various bits and pieces in, lots of tape and uh, tie wraps. Wushy system, that sounds like something out of Harry Potter and... Obviously, he's got quite a few books out there. Are you? Yeah, a big, a big fan. Interested? Certainly, big fan of the books. Um, and I think, yeah, if, if we could use the the Wushy system, like the the flu system, would be fantastic. So far, we haven't managed to get a member of staff stuck in the Wushy. We've had everything else pretty much stuck in the Wushy, but not yet a member of staff. Um, but in theory, you could a very small member of staff could possibly <laughs> pass through the Wushy. Um, yeah, but we haven't. We I should say very clearly, we haven't tried it, and uh, it's, I'd advise no one to even even attempt it, even with a very small member of staff. Can they fit in there? No, yeah. I, I don't. I don't think so. But we've had pretty much everything else go down. What's the strangest thing stuck in the washing that you've had um, to retrieve? Well, it's not so much strangest thing, but what the, there's two things that are hugely frustrating. One is sometimes staff will put things into the washi without putting it in a carrier, believe it or not. So you can find shredded paper. The entire system can be full of shredded paper because someone's put patient notes or something similar into the wushi without putting it in a carrier. Oh dear. And because it's based on vacuum and um, suction, it, yeah, it gets distributed all over the place. And similar frustrations, but not, not as exciting, is sending large volumes of fluid, IV bags, etc. The wushi is too old to transport one litre of fluid, or certainly two or three sometimes. Uh, and so it'll get so far before it runs out of steam and then you have a, a litre of saline stuck in a carrier in the middle of the wishy system, which takes me some time to purge it back. Uh, we won't go into it, we're getting really technical here. Talk about purging the wushy all day if you want so me to. This, this is a platform for you, Lee, an appeal. I can't believe Lee, we're talking Lee. about the wushy. And I'm, I'm, I work in pathology and we're talking about the air tube system. And, and to be clear, you looking after the wushy system is not the only thing you do in your job. No, it's a big part of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's more, not, no. more of a part that we... we it's the amusing hope. bit. Yeah. Might, yes. And when you've gone to repair 
uh, the wishy system in the wards. Do, do staff realise how honoured they are to have a head of pathology there doing a, a job that? No, no, I do often think, do you know who I am? But <laughs> they, they have, no, they think I'm usually referred to as the technician or the air tube technician or indeed one of the engineers who I do sometimes when I can't fix it, I have to get some uh, external engineers to come and have a look. So I think they just think I'm part of that team, probably. So more people recognise me for the wishy than they do for my pathology role, I suspect. So you go to meetings and you introduce yourself as the head of pathology and someone goes, oh, you're the wishy man. Yeah, that has happened. That <laughs> definitely has happened. And I'm yeah, slightly taken aback, but it does happen. And other than that being your, your sort of step away from work to help you calm down, mm. what else do you do to... Um... To get away and to relax away from work. Um, outside of work, pr primarily I'm a, I'm a big cinema, film, TV fan, um, a huge book fan. I have a, a vast collection of, of books, fiction and non-fiction. Um, but I quite like gardening, actually. I'm, I live a, a little way away, up near Devizes, so I've got a, um, a little bit of a journey between work and home, which is quite good. And it does feel like I'm sort of getting away um, at the end of the day. And we have a, a, a nice garden that we've been working on and for like five years. And um, so that's a quite really good therapeutic way you know get, getting getting over work getting away from work and we have three chickens which are a big part of our lives and they are a big part of the garden and so um yeah a lot of weekends are spent doing various things in the garden with the chickens what are they called Maud, barbara and uh henrietta unsurprisingly <laughs> yeah and they are real characters and thinking about some of the TV programs you watch mm. are they science based i mean or are you a big bang theory fan or the yeah, absolutely. Big Bang, fabulous. And, and a lot of the science is absolutely spot on in that. So that was is really good. But uh, yeah, I'm sadly, I watch an awful lot of documentaries. My a good evening would be watching some form of natural history documentary. Okay. Even better if it's about dinosaurs, those those types of things I'm fascinated by. Thinking about the Big Bang theory, mm. which mm -hmm. character are you? That's a really good question. I'm not, I, I very much like Sheldon and his directness, his straightforwardness <laughs> and his knowledge. I wouldn't say I'm anywhere near as bad as that, but uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm not probably gonna gonna give you um, pick one. I don't think, but probably if I had to, yeah, cl probably closest to his line of thinking, I would guess. Okay. I don't. Others would say that. So maybe. you know the know. string theory off by heart, then. I don't know it off by heart. But I know <laughs> of it. I think. <laughs> don't catch me out there. We do have a scientist with us today, but I'm not going to put you on the spot and talk about the science of baking because we've explored all the other amazing scientists stuff you do however I am going to ask you what is your favorite cake and why does Jaffa cake count it does legally yes I quite like Jaffa cakes a lot and I once had a very large version of a Jaffa oh, cake wow. and it was amazing so, someone made that for you yeah it was really really nice so just yeah just essentially sponge with a, that orangey gelatinous stuff on covered in dark chocolate, chocolate and it was yeah really good amazing and for those listening who wonder why a jaffa cake is a cake and not a biscuit there was a court case and it's because cakes when yeah. they uh, are left out they Just go there. hard whereas biscuits go soft mm. lesson of the day scientific fact <laughs> and uh, making sure you got the cake then katie what, what's your favorite cake oh it one? has to be chocolate chocolate all the time just love chocolate mm. <laughs> that's a perfectly good answer thank you thank you so much to our guests for taking time out of their day to record with us much appreciated mm. it's, it's been great talking to you thank, thank you. you thanks so much for listening to this episode of the cake and to our guests for taking the time out to record, it's really appreciated. So Jane, was there anything in there that particularly stuck out for you from the session today? I think it's really interesting that both Lee and Katie had very clear direction of what they wanted to do in life. They both 
knew from a very young age what career they wanted and both found a way to do it in whatever capacity. So Lee within pathology and Katie in journalism then uh, with comms. And it, it just shows that actually sometimes people do know from such a young age what they want to do. And it was also very interesting when we were talking about their pastimes, how that still included their their yeah, careers. Absolutely. Yeah, like Katie watching crime. They're, they're relaxing almost with their work as well, aren't they? Which is great to see. Yeah, and, and Lee with his science programme. So, yeah, both very interesting. Great topics. So, if you'd like to listen to another podcast, they're still all available from your usual podcast sources. Excellent. Uh, but now I think time for cake. Fancy a slice? Yes, please. Yes, please.